for Tuesday, April 28th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, state public health officials are ramping up a program to find everyone in Georgia sick with COVID-19. The idea is to isolate them and their contacts to stop the spread of the disease. Everybody should take into account the fact that in the course of the next year, they may very well have to go through several periods of quarantine based on who they come into contact with. Dr. Marcus Plesha, chief medical officer for the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials, walks through some of the basics of contact tracing and some of the challenges that come with the work. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. What does it take to reopen a society that's been shut down to stop the spread of a disease? In Georgia and across the country, public health officials are ramping up programs to track and isolate people who might have been exposed to the coronavirus. It's called contact tracing, and it's a public health practice that's been in use for decades. But it takes a lot of human capital, and that, of course, takes money. Here to discuss some of the basics of contact tracing and what it takes to do it right is Dr. Marcus Plesha, Chief Medical Officer for the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. Dr. Plesha, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Thanks for having me. Lay out for me kind of what contact tracing is in its, in its most basic form. Contact tracing is identifying somebody for a given illness that is uh, highly infectious. It's identifying people who have contracted the illness, trying to identify them as early as possible in their illness, and then finding people that they have recently been in contact with to try to reduce the chances that those people become infected, or if they do become infected, reduce the chances that they pass the infection on to anybody else. So you identify somebody with symptoms, get them tested quickly, and then if they test positive at that point, you determine their recent contacts and you contact those people, um, check with them to see if they're sick, but you also have to monitor them and have them stay in quarantine or, or you know, stay at home uh, until they either develop symptoms of the illness or until the quarantine period passes. So it's essentially kind of like public health detective work. 
Yeah, this is not a new concept to public health, although the public often hasn't heard very much about it. Uh, we do this frequently, and we've been doing it for decades. We do it for a wide range of conditions. Uh, we do it regularly for people who've had contacts with sexually transmitted infections. We do it for controlling the potential spread of tuberculosis. The topic people may be most familiar with is last year when we had big measles outbreaks in the Pacific Northwest and New York State, we used contact tracing to get those outbreaks under control, and it was very effective. We were able to put an end to what could have become a much more widespread outbreak of measles in the United States. This just seems like such a manual way to kind of do this work. You're, you're, you're literally finding people, making sure that they remember where they've been, who they've been in contact with. That seems like a very hard thing to make work. Well, it is, you know, there are some challenges to it. Again, though, it's not um, brand new. We've been doing it in public health for a long time. Uh, you know, we have people who are highly trained and skilled at it. Uh, it does require some creativity. It requires some perseverance. There's discussions now of some technological assistance that, that might make it a little bit easier. But it's tried and true. It works well. It's a way to get uh, a outbreak under control. And frankly, it's really what we need to do right now if we want to try to reopen our societies and move forward. But if we want to do that without just having another resurgence of the COVID infections. At this point, Georgia hasn't released many specifics about its plan to ramp up contact tracing, but we did get some news this week. Dr. Kathleen Toomey, who heads our Department of Public Health, says she hopes to hire at least a thousand people for this task. That's to serve a state of Georgia, which has over 10 million residents. That gets me thinking about the numbers. How many people does it really take? What kind of staffing does it take to do something like this effectively? Well, it's relatively labor-intensive. I mean, you have potentially a significant number of people who are testing positive for COVID, and then those people, depending on how out and about they are or how social they are, they could have numerous contacts, uh, and those people have to be uh, traced down and uh, made contact with and monitored. So you need quite a few people. We've made a recommendation that for the nation as a whole, we need about 100,000 contact tracers. That would be a significant increase over the numbers that we currently have. Our feeling is 100,000 would give us a good start, and Georgia's plan to hire 1,000, I think that's an excellent start. Is that 100,000 uh, goal for the country? Is that is that achievable, do you think? Do you get the sense that states are taking this seriously enough to invest it that way? I do think it's achievable. First of all, you have to take into account the fact that we're not starting from scratch. We have the core structure in place to do contact tracing. All of our state and local public health departments have contact tracing staff. And what we have in place also is the experienced public health trained people that we would need to run a program like this. Now, even that staff probably needs to be augments it a little bit. But the main hiring will be uh, people who may not have a public health background but can be trained to do contact tracing. It really would require hiring people, many of whom are lay people, to do these jobs. And I think that is achievable. As everybody knows, right now, because of the economy, we have a lot of people who uh, are looking for jobs. And I think many of those people would be good candidates to be contact tracers, again, with some training. What does the day in the life of a contact tracer look like, especially if you consider maybe someone who doesn't come from a public health background, maybe they, they don't have any official training? 
those people would do two things. One, somebody on the contact tracing staff would actually interview the person who's recently been diagnosed with COVID. And that's a fairly intensive interview. You have to, you know, really walk them through and help them remember everybody that they've been in contact with. Then once you have that information, a contact tracer goes out and makes contact with those people. And in most cases, we think we'll be doing this by telephone. So the contact tracer isn't necessarily going to be out on the streets going door to door. They're more likely going to be sitting in a call center somewhere. That's it's important because it's more efficient, but it's also important because if we send, and we may have to send some contact tracers out into the field to try to find people, but when we do that, then we get into the issue of needing to make sure those people have some kind of protective equipment. And as you know, that's in short supply now as well. This work sounds very personal. This work also sounds very invasive. Um, a public health official asking me where I've been, who I've been in touch with, especially when it comes to health information, which which people, I think, understandably can be very sensitive about. Talk to me about what it takes to overcome that barrier and really get people to participate willingly um, in these kinds of contact tracing programs. I think you have to establish right up front in your conversation with a contact why you're doing this. And in the case of COVID, because the public is so sensitive to it and because people are concerned about the situation and they're also anxious about the disease, we find that if that's broached well, most people are going to be cooperative because if they've been exposed to somebody who had COVID, they want to know that and they want to know what they can do to hopefully limit their chances that they might contract COVID. But also, I think most people want to know what they can do to make sure they don't pass the infection on to somebody else. Now, I think the communication, public communication about this effort is really important, too. Ideally, you don't want somebody to be contacted by a contact tracer, and that's the first they've heard of it. The hope is that it's been out in the media. People understand that this is going on. People need to understand this is the main intervention we have now to try to keep the COVID outbreak under control. If we don't want another surge like we've been seeing recently, people are going to need to cooperate with this. And I think if people understand that, if they're hearing that background about what contact tracing is, trusted officials, uh, that'll make a big difference in whether they take that initial call and are willing to participate in that initial call. I asked that question specifically because Governor Kemp kind of singled out um, Georgia's Latino community yesterday, saying the state needed to do a better job of reaching out to that community to make sure they understand fully the public health situation that's happening right now. That makes me wonder about that community in particular, or maybe even others that might have other reasons why they might not necessarily want to answer the door when a government official comes comes knocking. I mean, have these contact tracing programs that you've seen ramped up in other states, these efforts in other states, really been hindered by, by just certain po- populations not trusting the government for, for, I think, very understandable reasons? Well, that's always going to be a challenge, and it's certainly something that we're concerned about. Um, you know, again, I think that the solution to that is to really communicate well ahead of time what contact tracing is and communicate that with with trusted people from from different communities. So in the case of Latino people, find people who are trusted by the Latino community who can explain what's going on and can really frame this as, you know, this is for your own good and the good of the people that you are close to and care about. But you are right. Contact tracing is challenging. I think the fact that we're not initially going door to door, most likely you'll get a telephone call. A lot of people don't answer their telephone calls, but they do go to a voicemail. And when you hear a voicemail explaining this is about a potential 
contact that you have with somebody with COVID, I think for a lot of people, they're going to want to know more. They will call back or they will accept the call the next time um, because, again, because they're concerned and because there's still a lot of anxiety about COVID. I'm also wondering what you think about the role of, of technology here. Um, both Apple and Google have been working together on an app to essentially let governments do this kind of work. It would, as I understand it, let people's smartphones kind of talk to each other. Um, and so then, you know, whoever is running this app, um, it would know, you know, who you've been in contact with and if they're running the app, who they've been in contact with too. What do you make of kind of the role of, of technology here? Because most of what we've been talking about so far is very manual work. It's someone sitting at a phone, calling people, um, but but can can technology make this easier? Yes, technology can make a big difference, but we have to make sure we don't uh, overpromise the role of technology because some people are, are not going to be comfortable with the idea that their cell phone is essentially being monitored and that somebody knows where they are and where they're going. Now, I think in the case of COVID, that may be a fairly small percentage of people, even people who might normally have minded that when it's understood that this is really about, you know, trying to protect you so that you know if you so that you know and can find out quickly if you've been in contact with somebody who's been infected, that may make a difference in people's willingness to participate. We need to expect that some people are not going to be willing to go to that level of being monitored. So for those people, we're just going to need to use the old-fashioned mechanism of collecting the information and then calling them and making contact with them that way. Should we expect these systems to already have been in place in a state like Georgia? State officials have said they're having to ramp this up, but should this have been something that we've been prepared to do all along? Well, we, we've been capable of doing contact tracing all along. We've just never had sort of an infection of this scale and size. So, it's not surprising that we don't have the workforce capacity. You know, that said, you also have to take into account that over the last two decades, both local and state public health departments have faced significant budget setbacks, and we know that the contact tracing workforce over the last couple of decades has been reduced in state and local health departments, and that's just sort of an unfortunate consequence of the budget reductions that public health departments have faced. I think people can appreciate the kind of immediate need for this. States are figuring out how they can open back up um, after being kind of quarantined for some period of time. Are these programs that we should expect to see actively working even a year from now, two years from now, when it comes to still tracking cases of, of COVID? Well, what people need to realize is that if we're going to start reopening our societies and you know moving away from these stay-at-home orders, we have to put something else into place to control this, this infectious disease. Otherwise, it's just going to, it's going to rear back up again and we're going to see huge rates of infection once again. So, so contact tracing is the intervention that can allow us to do that. Now, how long we'll have to continue to do this is something people need to, to think about because until we have a vaccine, we continue to have the danger that there's this highly infectious pathogen out there that is passed from person to person and that if we're not careful, we can have infection rates rage out of control and, again, uh, put at risk the capacity of our healthcare systems to be able to take care of large numbers of sick people. So this could easily be something that goes on for a year, a year and a half, really until we have a vaccine or if we have some kind of therapeutic, if we were able to find a therapeutic agent that controlled the infection, uh, that would also maybe allow us to shift to different strategies. 
One other thing I'd like to say that people need to consider about contact tracing that everybody needs to be prepared for is this could potentially happen sequentially to somebody. You could go into quarantine, get out, go about your life, have the misfortune of being in close contact with somebody else who contracts COVID, and you're back on a 14-day quarantine again. So the idea that we're going to have you know, unrestricted freedom to be out in society, people need to temper their expectations a little bit about that. Everybody should take into account the fact that in the course of the next year, they may very well have to go through several periods of quarantine based on who they come into contact with. Dr. Marcus Plesha is Chief Medical Officer for the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us with questions, comments, or controversy at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at S. Claude Whitehead. That's S C L A U D. Whitehead. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary, but when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org donate and thanks.